Holy smokes. Do we have a barrage of news stories to get to? Contracts being signed left, right, and center. Money being thrown around. There's a new captain in Montreal and a captain of another Canadian NHL team wants to stay there for quite some time. All that and more coming up on episode 149 of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. story for today's podcast and we got plenty more to get into as well it is the 149th episode of the second thoughts hockey podcast Kyle Grimard, your host as always as we go through everything you can follow along with all the updates on instagram and twitter at st hockey podcast you can follow along and listen on google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, and spotify wherever you get your podcasts um anchor.com does a great job of spreading it out as well so there's a multitude of platforms holy um, yeah, you just heard there the contract being given out to Jordan Cairo. We have got a lot of other contracts that we need to get to as well, including Tim Stutzla, Tage Thompson, Kirby Doc. There's a new captain in Montreal. We're going to talk about another captain, Bo Horvat, wanting to stay in Vancouver. A lot of other uh, PTOs and whatnot to get to, but Let's start with the breaking news story. I was going to start with the Canadians. Let's start with the big contracts for now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through each contract and individual one by one. So let's start with Cairo. Just minutes ago, as we're recording, it's 12.36 p.m. You're probably listening later on in the afternoon or later on in the week. But the St. Louis Blues agreed to sign forward Jordan Cairo to an eight-year extension with an average annual value of $8.125 million. It is a total of $65 million. Jordan Cairo, 24 years of age, coming off a breakout season, 75 points in 74 games, has one more year on his current deal. You're going to notice a trend here. One more year on his current deal at $2.8 million before the new contract kicks in. His average war percentage was about 88%. And uh, was dynamic offensively. Uh, defensively, doesn't look like it's it, it's. there's a whole lot there. But he's a very up-tempo, up-style type of player. And offensively is what they have, signed, they have signed him basically to do. So the Blues have now signed two of their young guns. Two long-term contracts. Robert Thomas being the other one. And they also have vets on the team, including Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko. I like this move a lot for a couple different reasons. One... Nowadays, you have to sign your young players almost as if you know the projection that they're going to be on, especially when they show you the potential in a season. When teams sign players to deals that they haven't lived up to yet, that's where I get concerned. And a couple of those players we're actually going to talk about later. I don't mind either of them. There's one I'm a little skeptical on, but we'll get to it regardless. But Jordan Kairos, I like. One... The cap it sits at about $1.825 million. Two, 
He's already coming off a season where he put up 75 points on the year in 74 games. He's over a point per game player. He's also been with this team when he was a rookie through a Stanley Cup run. He's been with them through other playoff runs and has made his way up the lineup when other bigger integral pieces have left the organization. The big one this year, case in point, David Perron. One of the reasons why St. Louis decided we're not able to keep David Perron, and I know the two sides desperately wanted to work out a deal, but it's because they had guys like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, who they were comfortable leaving in their hands for the team's future. What I also like about Cairo is his progression in the NHL has only gone up. His first season in 2018-19, I believe that's the year they won the Stanley Cup, he only played 16 games, 3 points. The following season, played 28 games at 9 points. Then the year prior, last year, pretty pretty solid. 55 games played, 14 goals, 21 assists, 35 points. Last year, in a full season with an extended role in the top 6, 74 games, 27 goals, 48 assists for 75 points. Why do I like this deal for Kairou? Every season, he's gotten better. And he's also 24. So an eight-year deal at 24 takes him to 32. You've bought out his 20s. There's no RFA BS you have to go through. You get him in his prime at his absolute peak and probably still a fantastic player at 31, 32. His next contract will not be reflective of what the years prior have done because they've already paid him. That's what I like about this deal. It's what I like about the other two players we're going to talk about as well. But for Jordan Kyron and the St. Louis Blues, St. Louis wanted to get David Perron done. They felt comfortable letting him go, ultimately. I don't know if they felt comfortable letting him go. But he was not there, obviously, because he just signed a new deal, I believe, in Detroit. But I think one of the reasons that St. Louis was like, we want to pay you, David, but we can't. We got to give money to, to Robert Thomas, and to Jordan Cairo, who are the two future players of this organization. And the fact that they got an eight-year deal, they got the max deal on them, a term at $8 million, considering some of the other guys are, you know, some guys get nine. We just saw Huberto get 10-5, Kachuk and Gaudreau. Now, they had all the 100 points each, but they are more established NHL players who you're paying for what they are now. This payment is for what the promise of Jordan Cairo could be. And I really like that in my opinion. So that's why I like the deal. Jordan Cairo stays in St. Louis for eight more years. I like it. Let's move on to the next player. Who I'm sorry I didn't bring this up. This was happening almost a week ago now. But the Buffalo Sabres signed forward Tage Thompson to a seven-year deal worth $50 million. The deal has an average annual value of $7.1 million or somewhere around that value. Thompson also has one more year left on his deal worth $1.4 million before the other one kicks in. Tage Thompson is 24 years of age and would have been an RFA. Similarly, Buffalo, again, young players who are not, there's maybe, what, half a dozen players who you sign the checkbook, you leave the dollar amount open, you turn it over, you hand it to them. The guys like McDavid's, Matthews, Dreisaitl, McCarr, McKinnon's probably getting it too. 
even when the Leafs tried to sign Austin Matthews in that bridge deal, it was a six-year deal or five-year deal, you still paid $11.6 million. Why? Well, he had 60 goals last year. But for the guys that are going to be the 35, 40-goal scorers, especially young at 24, lock them in early. Now, sometimes that can backfire. We've seen that with players like Patrick Lyonet. We've seen that with other players like a James Neal, for example, who signs a deal in, I believe it was Edmonton or Calgary. It was Calgary. It doesn't work out. And then he gets flipped to, to Edmonton in exchange for Lucic. The difference is James Neal was an older player. He was in his 30s. Tage Thompson is 24 years of age. Now, the argument here is apparently not a lot of people like this deal for Tage Thompson. Why? You're handing out $7 million a season to a player who has never hit 30 goals in his career. Though This is actually how it's worked. So we came over. So Tage Thompson was, was acquired in the deal for Ryan O'Reilly back in, I believe it was 2018, 2019. So Tage Thompson was the big player coming across. This is Tage Thompson's career. 2017, 2018, 41 games, three goals, six assists. 2018, 2019, 65 games, seven goals, five assists. 2019, 2020, we only played one game. 2020, 2021, 38 games, eight goals, six assists. 2021, 2022, 78 games, 38 goals, 30 assists. I understand why a lot of people don't like him. Here's my here's my opinion. If Buffalo doesn't give him that deal, somebody else will. Buffalo is also notorious for giving out massive contracts to players who haven't proven it multiple times. AKA Jeff Skinner. Jeff Skinner right now makes $9.5 million. He had one breakout season where he played along the wing with Jack Eichel, put up 40-plus goals. They signed him big-time, long-term. Jack Eichel had some injury problems, and Jeff Skinner has never been able to replicate that season. He was okay last year. But I think with Tage Thompson... Now, I watched a little bit of tape on him. I watched how he scored goals. I think for a player who is six foot seven, 220 pounds, adjusting to the speed of the National Hockey League takes a little longer. A lot of smaller guys have to bank on their speed and skill. When you're a bigger player, it is a lot harder to adapt, I think, to the National Hockey League level because everything is so fast. You've got to be careful physically because you're a little overpowering and you tower over players. Sometimes you get called unfortunate penalties and circumstances where maybe it's not a penalty, but because you're so big, referees often come across and see it as a penalty. Offensively, sticks are so quick. The play happens so fast. And as a bigger player, you probably, you need to be able to establish yourself a little bit differently. Again, I am not 6'7", 220. I cannot attest to this. All I'm saying is, I get why Buffalo did it. In, in today's game, all the best contracts, if you think about it, all the best contracts in hockey were signed before the player broke out. David Pasternak, 
He's in the final year of a deal where he makes $6.7 million. Brad Marchand, before he was an Olympian and perennial all-star putting up 100 points a season. William Nylander in Toronto, for everyone that hated the Nylander deal. Six years, $6.9 million. Scored 30-plus goals last year. Point-per-game player. Leon Dreisaitl had one good season. Signed, what is it, 8.5 or 8.8 something million dollars. Everyone lost it on the deal. It's one of the better contracts in hockey today. Nathan McKinnon signed his deal before he broke out and became a top five player in hockey today. And sometimes you're going to swing and miss on those. Patrick Line, I think, is an example who signed a bridge deal. I think Matthew Barzell, who still has time and still has potential, has not lived up to the $7 million that he signed three years ago or two years ago. He has not grown into the player that the Islanders thought he would grow into. Pierre-Luc Dubois, when he was in Columbus, now he actually had a pretty good playoff a couple years back, but he held out, got moved. All the deals signed with, with remember that, that free agency year where it was like Louis Erickson, James Neal, Milan Lucic, Troy Brower. All those deals were signed for what the player had already accomplished in the league. The deals that are being signed now are for what the player could potentially do. Like if Tage Thompson goes out and scores 45 goals next year, which is not insane, it's only seven more goals than what he scored last year. Everyone's going to look around and be like, Buffalo just got a 40-goal score for $7 bucks. Are you freaking kidding me? It's the same thing in St. Louis. Now, Jordan Cairo has shown progressively throughout the years he is evolving as a player, and Tage Thompson kind of came out of nowhere. But I think also it has to do with the fact that Tage Thompson was given a top six role. In his previous three seasons, not counting 2019-2020, I don't think he was given that role. Here's an example. Tage Thompson, the, la- the most amount of games Tage Thompson played since last year where he played 78 was 65 three years ago in 2018-2019. In 65 games, he had 108 shots on net. In 13 more games, he had 150 more shots. Uh, 253 shots last season compared to 108 three years prior and only a 13-game difference. The role is bigger. Buffalo was like, you're a former first-round pick, 26th overall. You were an integral piece in the trade for Ryan O'Reilly. They gave him an opportunity. Him and Alex Tuck and Jeff Skinner were phenomenal together. I think that also has something to do with it. The players that are around you when you play. I don't know. I I, I see. I, I, I listened to, to 32 Thoughts and I heard Elliot Friedman talk about he was shocked and he was kind of confused and saying that people didn't like the deal. Why? This is the norm in the NHL now. 
You've got a 23, 24 year old who has broken out and is going to be an integral part of your team for the next foreseeable future. You lock him down for as long as you can on a solid dollar amount. 7 million in today's game is not outrageous. You want to see the amount of players that make more than $7.1 million? You would be appalled to see the names that are going to be paid above of Tage Thompson who will not produce to the level that he will. There are two in Dallas right now that make nine, eight and a half, and $9.5 million per season. Neither of them next year will score 38 goals. I will guarantee you that here on the show. It's, it, there are a lot of players making a lot of money that will not get the production that you will get from Tage Thompson. And maybe Tage Thompson comes down a peg. Maybe he only puts up, let's just say, 25 goals. Right? He puts up 25 goals, 25 assists. Give it 7 million you can work with. 9 million, different story. 7, you can work with it. That's why I don't hate it. And I don't hate paying a player young. I don't hate paying a player who has broken out and shown his potential. And instead of waiting another year and Tage Thompson on his $1.4 million contract goes out and puts up 40 goals and let's say 30 assists for 70 points in like 80 games next year. That dollar amount is easily starting with at least an eight now. Maybe 8.5. I'm just saying, I get why they did it. Maybe it doesn't pan out, but I think it has. it's more likely to pan out than not to. Especially with the fact that there's solidarity in who he's going to play with for the next little while, and the fact that he's been given the role and given the confidence to be the player he was drafted to be, and Buffalo's allowing him to do it. I like it. And the final player that we need to talk about who got this big old extension... Tim Stutzla, center for the Ottawa Senators, an eight-year extension with an AAV of $8.35 million. Tell me if you've heard this before. He has one year remaining on his current contract before this new one kicks in for 2023-24. He will be now the highest paid player on the team. The deal includes a 10-team no-trade list in the final four years of the contract. And of course, Tim Suits last year had a breakout season. Shocker, 22 goals, 36 assists in 79 games, playing just over 18 minutes on the ice. This is why, again, I like this deal. Now, at first when I saw it, I'm like, oh, he only really had 58 points last season. They're already paying 8.35 million. He did that last year without all the additions that Ottawa got. He did it playing with. Uh, Drake Batherson, or he was playing with Alex Formentin, or whoever the case may be. But now on top of the extension, Tim Stutzel was on 32 Thoughts and came out and said that it's likely he's going to be playing between a combination of newly acquired two-time 40-goal scorer Alex DeBrinket and Claude Giroux. The Sens also signed Josh Norris earlier this season to eight years. He had a big year. He put up 35 goals as well. Stutzla putting up 58 points. And Ottawa pouncing on the situation. is something Ottawa I don't think normally did before this offseason. 
they wouldn't have paid Josh Norris. Now, they did it with Thomas Shabbat, but Ottawa would find that one player, right? They'd find that one guy and pay them. And then everyone else, right? They were a little tighter with the checkbook. They'd move some guys out knowing they were going to get a salary increase, but they have gone out. They've made Josh Norris a priority. They've made Stutzla a priority. They signed Giroux. They traded for Debrinket. They traded for Cam Talbot. The other thing I like about Stutzla is there's still so much room to grow. There's still, there's more potential in Tim Stutzla than there is Tage Thompson and Jordan Cairo. Why? Both those guys are 24. Stutzla is 20. By the time this deal kicks in, he will be 21. Which means you have bought out virtually all of Tim Stutzla's 20s. The prime, the projection, the peak. You've bought it all out. A lot of people say that they understand the deal as well. And that they understand this one more than Tage Thompson's. At first, I was almost vice versa. I got Tage Thompson's a little bit more. 38 goals. But then I started reading into it. I started doing more research and I started looking at it. You know, I looked at their what the projections for their lineup is going to be and what Stutzla has done and where his um, where his growth has been as well. And yeah, he's coming off a season where he had 58 points and is going to see a significantly increased uh, player combination with his lineup. And, and I'm not downgrading anyone he played with, but Ottawa last year had had a, a multitude of different players kind of going back and forth between, uh, you know, Batherson and, and Norris and Stutzla and whatnot. But you're adding Dabrinkit and you're adding... Claude Giroux. So it's a combination of those guys or Batherson or whoever. But when you also pay a player, you're also telling them without telling them, you are going to be an integral part of our organization for the foreseeable and long-term future. And this is the money that's going to almost guarantee that. So he is going to be given the best possible opportunity. In his rookie year, he was playing third line. He was not in those top six roles, or when he was, it was a more of a learning curve. Last year, he really developed and understood a little bit more. I'm assuming he's going to take another step forward this coming season. And then once it's all figured out, he's already paid. So if you're not a fan of young players... Before playing any playoff games, before really making any uh, deep runs in the postseason, before really proving anything, the way that the game is today and the way that teams have to navigate the salary cap and pay their players, it is a lot on projection and you're paying a player what they are potentially going to do, not what they've already done. And I think the summer of whatever year it was, I think it was 2016, 2015, when it was the Louis Erickson, Milan Lucic, where they signed those six-year, $36 million deals at like 31 years of age. Those days are long gone. Now, we just saw Nazem Kadri sign it. Totally fair. But we saw a team in the Calgary Flames trade away two of their core players, one who decided not to be there, the other one who wanted to trade, because Calgary win window to win is now. Ottawa is building for the future. Buffalo is building for the future. 
The St. Louis Blues have moved on from players who were a part of their core in future in past years and are paying guys who are part of their future. There is a difference between the two. Now, like I said, if a couple episodes go with a Kadri deal, that deal for them is, that's about a four to five year contract. They're going to worry about the, the next two years because it was a seven by seven deal. The last three to two, two to three years of that contract, Calgary's not worrying about. Brad True Living, maybe at that time, is going to be at the end of his tenure, or maybe he's like, at that point, they've already gone deep in playoffs, and he's like, I did what I did. But they're not worried about those two years. This deal for Stutzla, the deal for Thompson, the deal for Kairou, all eight years matter. All seven years in Tage's deal matter. You expect greatness in that seventh and eighth season. You expect Tage Thompson to be a prolific goal scorer in that seventh year of the contract. Those are the difference between those deals. I love all three of them for each team because I understand what it represents and I understand what the team is trying to do. Again, all of the best players on the best contracts right now all signed their deals before they broke out. David Pasternak, William Nylander, Leon Dreisaitl, Brad Marchand, Nathan McKinnon. All those players who were on those very team-friendly deals all signed before they truly broke out and established themselves as the players they are today. So in <laughs> retrospect, I like the deals. Uh, okay, the Montreal Canadiens had some news. Kirby Doc, four-year extension with an AAV of $3.36 million. Of course, uh, he was acquired from the Blackhawks in the three-way trade uh, during the first round of this past draft. Uh, he was selected third overall in the 2019 draft, has yet to really make his mark. Uh, he suited up in 70 games back in 2021-22, and he had nine goals and 17 assists. So they expect him to be a big part of uh, of their future. And the bigger news story, the Montreal Canadiens have found their new captain. Here comes Suzuki. Over the line on that right side. And scores! Well, they needed that. And how often has Nick Suzuki provided something that Canadians have needed in these playoffs? Nick Suzuki dubbed as the 31st captain in Montreal Canadiens history, Nick Suzuki at just 23 years of age when given the C. He takes the honor from Shea Weber, who last wore the C for Montreal for four years, but missed all of last season due to injuries, unfortunately. He was dealt to Vegas this offseason, uh, more or less for LTIR purposes, but nevertheless... On top of that, Brendan Gallagher um, and Joel Edmondson will also serve as alternate captains as the team was introduced last night for their leadership group. Brendan Gallagher came out and said it. He said, quote, he's the heartbeat of our team. Uh, he's the guy that has really um, established himself as the uh, number one center of the organization. He is the uh, playmaking guy who's a big in putting up points. And shocker, last year signed an eight-year, $63 million uh, extension that is set to kick in this season in which he signed last. Do you see the pattern we're getting at with these contract extensions, people? It's smart business by the teams. Nick Suzuki, 149 points in 203 career games, coming off the final year of his uh, deal and is now locked into an eight-year contract for $63 million, which will take him till he's 31 years of age. He's an interesting pick for me 
for a couple of reasons. One, because they had a guy like Brendan Gallagher on the team, and I think Brendan Gallagher really is like the heartbeat. And even though he said that Suzuki was the heartbeat of the team, I feel like Gallagher is a player who is very much like the heartbeat. He's the little engine that could. He's the driver of the organization. But I think Montreal is looking at it. We don't want to name a guy captain for a couple of years, and then he kind of falls off, and then we got to hand it over to the next person who then holds it for five years. They are want a guy to give the, to the C to who they want to have wearing that C for the next decade. That's what they want. That makes total sense to me. I think a lot of teams who are looking at that now, look at the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa could have given it to uh, Thomas Shabbat. They could have given it to a, I don't know, at the time before they were trading players away, like a Carlson or a Stone, and then those players are no longer a part of the organization. Ottawa went, we want to sign you long-term, Kachuk, and then we want to give you the captaincy, and we want you wearing this as our captain of this team, of the city, for the next decade. I think Montreal is following the same suit. I believe that Toronto will follow the same suit after John Tavares and Austin Matthews. I think that that transition is going to happen at some point. And I think Montreal wanted to do that here with Nick Suzuki. Because the future is here. Montreal has drafted. They've developed. They've integrated their players. They still got to figure out their goaltending. But in terms of their core players, Uri Slavkowski, Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Kirby Dock. That's the team. Alexander Romanov was not the team. But these guys are the team. They have made the decision of who they want to represent their team for the long for the future. Nick Suzuki is the captain who's going to lead the charge. Brendan Gallagher and Joel Edmondson, they're the veterans of the team. They're going to hand the reins off. They're still the leaders on the team, but they are going to be the guys that help Nick Suzuki become the leader. And when they tail off, he'll be in great hands and he'll know exactly what he's doing. But when Brendan Gallagher says he's the heartbeat of the team for what he has done, he was an all-rookie during his debut season in 2018-2019. He established himself as the top center. Signed his big contract. I like it for I, I I like it for Montreal. It's funny because I have a story about Nick Suzuki. So back when he was playing for the Guelph Storm, and I believe as I check my notes here, it was the 2018-2019 season uh, when he got traded to the Guelph Storm that year. It was the second round between the London Knights and the Guelph Storm. And the London Knights were loaded that season. I'm talking about Evan Bouchard. And and um, Adam Boakvist on defense. That's that Joey Keane uh, on the back end as well. They have Brett Brochu, who set all rookie records as a goaltender in the OHL. Up front, they had Liam Foody, who's a first-round pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Alex Formenton, of course, with the Ottawa Senators. Like, they were loaded with talent. London, in the second round, gets out to a 3-0 lead in the series. And I remember saying this. I'm like, I can't notice Nick Suzuki on the ice. Couldn't notice him. And then a switch flipped in game four. And Nick Suzuki just refused to lose at that point. Guelph came all the way back from 3-0 down to win the series 4-3 on the road in London. And it was headed by Nick Suzuki, who was their leading scorer in that playoffs. He, when he flips the switch... He 
is quite the unstoppable player. And I remember saying something and I looked over at a buddy when we were watching the game, we were working it. And I said, I shouldn't have said anything. I should not have said anything. It's like the guy had ears. He could feel his ears burning. People were talking about him because he, because he just, he, he didn't have that killer instinct in the first three games. And as soon as the team was under elimination circumstances, guy turned it on. And I remember at the end of that series, because I was watching, I'm like, I haven't really noticed Nick Suzuki yet. At the By the end of the series, I looked over, I'm like, this kid is a player. He was always getting points. He was always, always involved in, in whatever scoring play the Guelph Storm were, were a part of. Like during the regular season, I, I have it right here. Their leading scorer was Nate Schnarr, right? 102 points on the season. Isaac Radcliffe was their second leading scorer with 82 now, Nick Suzuki came over later on the season, played just 29 games, but had 49 points. Come playoff time, who is the leading scorer for the Guelph Storm? Nick Suzuki. 42 points in 24 games. Rycliffe was second with 30. Nate Schnarr was third, with 19, or, uh, was fourth with 19. Sean Dursey had 27 for them as well. But Suzuki was the, 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 the motor. He was the driver of the offense and one of the key reasons, main reasons, why they ended up winning the OHL championship that year. All right, let's uh, let's move on here to the Vancouver Canucks here. So Vancouver went out. I don't know if this is on the last podcast, but the Canucks went out, made the decision. They signed JT Miller after trade rumors of one. I think I talked about this because the, the league is very uh, very fickle, right? One minute you're in trade rumors, the next you're being dealt. JT Miller signs a seven-year extension with an AAV of $8 million. It's hilarious how things change. And I said, that leaves Vancouver in a very precarious situation. Bo Horvat, their captain, is set to become an unrestricted free agent at the end of this coming season. He has a cap at, I think, $5.5 million or $5.25 million. And has come out and said that he his preference is to stay with the Vancouver Canucks. And has gone out and told them that months before the regular season starts. Say, quote, obviously, I want to be a Vancouver Canuck. I want to stay here. Love our group. Love my wife. I love the city. If I wanted to play for one team my whole career, it would be the Vancouver Canucks. Obviously, it's a long process, but we'll see where it goes. Now, Horvat came in, had a career high last year. 31 goals in 70 games. 24 of them came behind after new HUD coach Bruce Boudreaux basically took over. And offensive wizard, they finished off 35, 15, and 10 to close out the season. They just missed the playoffs. And like I said, Horvat current deal is $5.5 million. It is one year left on that contract. This is an interesting situation. And again, a lot of what I'm going to say today is, is very similar to the last podcast. I'm very intrigued to see where Vancouver goes with this. Because the Canucks have made it clear with the players that they have signed. This is our team. Brock Besser, JT Miller, Ilya Mikheyev, Andre Kuzmenko. Quinn Hughes is locked in as well. Elias Pedersen comes up in two years. But the deals that were signed by Jim Benning, those are the ones I'm looking at. 
Those players include Connor Garland, Tanner Pearson, Jason Dickinson, because each of those players have multiple years left on their contracts. And Vancouver, at the time we're recording this, is sitting at $2.75 million over the current cap space. And they have three roster spots to fill. Also to note, players on the current injured reserve that are taking up $4.1 million include Niels Hoglander, who's in the final year of his entry-level deal, and Tucker Pullman, who was also signed this past season, who makes $2.5 million. The name for me that makes the most sense, especially if you're going to extend a center. Obviously, I think a buyout is coming for Jason Dickinson. He doesn't fit there. But if you're looking to, to shell out a decent amount of money that can be spread out to some players... I just, I want to keep an eye on Connor Garland. Because remember, Miller's contract does not kick in until the following season after this year. So they've got to clear $2.75 million to make up for JT Miller's contract. And then they've got to clear up even more money to accommodate for whatever Bo Horvat is going to sign for. And then after two years from there, Elias Pedersen will be up. They re-signed Curtis Lazar to a three-year deal at $1 million, so he's locked in. If Andre Kuzmenko, who was uh, the highly uh, touted free agent from Europe, signed a one-year deal there as well. If he hits, he's going to need an extension after this year. So the players I'm looking at are Tyler Myers, who has two years left on his uh, limited no trade clause. And then Connor Garland, who does not have a trade clause. Connor Garland is the guy to me that makes the most sense. Especially after the team's commitment to sign Ilya Mikheyev. Now, one, I think it'll actually be quite easy to move a guy like Connor Garland. He's cap controlled for four years. He's less than $5 million. He can play top six. He has the potential to score 20 goals. And a team could fit that. And maybe send an expiring player back the next way. That deal comes off the books. Everything's handy, handy dandy. Another guy I'm looking at, Tanner Pearson. Players like Tanner Pearson, who have a, an extra year on their deals, $3.25 million, playoff experience, can play within your top six or top nine, physical, can score big goals in the playoffs. Those two guys right there, Accommodate for over $8 million in cap. It also means that it's a less, it's less of a, a cap penalty when you buy out Jason Dickinson as opposed to Tanner Pearson. And I think you can actually get value for Tanner Pearson opposed to Jason Dickinson. But that $8 million comes off. That gives a little bit of leeway to JT Miller. That gives you a little bit of money to work with to sign Bo Horvat. And then there's potential to move off of a Tyler Myers or you can wait that out because in two years that deal will be done and that's $6 million off the books. The point I'm getting at here is Vancouver has a lot of avenues to go. But what's interesting to me is the Canucks brass, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, Emily Castongi, assistant general manager. They have made a statement in who they see as part of this team long term. And it was funny because I listened to some podcasts and, and 32 thoughts. Again, I got to bring them up. 
they were confused because last summer it was they're going to not tank, but they're going to they're going to go in a younger direction. So the heir of Bo Horvat and Brock Besser and JT Miller are all going to be gone. They're going to get tons of trade value and cap space and assets, and they're going to rebuild behind the Pedersen and the Hughes. And then Besser stays and Miller stays and they sign Ilya Mikheyev. And it's very interesting because now there's a plethora of different ways where Vancouver can go and ultimately are forced to go or they lose their captain and they they name someone else captain. That's the only other avenue I see. But I I highly I I I'm gonna, I have a hunch on this and I could be wrong, but I think a guy like Connor Garland is going to garner a lot of interest. I think if Vancouver is not in a playoff race next year, I think Tanner Pearson is almost a for sure player that gets dealt. One, because he is a playoff experienced player who teams just love. Like, think of the players that get dealt around this time of year. The Barkley Goodrows, the Blake Coleman's, right? Those third line guys who who go in. They sometimes they, Andrew Cop, first round picks. Second round picks, like multiple seconds and thirds for like that one extra piece that a contending team needs. That's a player I'd sell high on next year. But Connor Garland's a guy I'm very, very interested to see. Vancouver's made their statement about who they want as part of their organization. Now let's see how they're going to make it work. All right, I want to run through a couple other pieces of news and information before we head on out today. Let's go through some uh, signings and and PTOs. So signings, Colorado Avalanche signed free agent Evan Rodriguez to a one-year deal with $2 million. He arguably was one of the top players available. He had 19 goals, 43 points, and 82 games with Pittsburgh. He had never eclipsed the 30-point mark before uh, in his seven seasons between Pittsburgh and Buffalo before last year. I think it's a great move by Colorado. They are slowly building their roster again to go for another run at the Cup, and it's a nice, cheap one-year deal that they can work with. PTOs, Calgary Flames bringing in veteran forward Cody Eak into a PTO. Uh, He was a UFA, played the last two seasons in Buffalo. Leafs bringing in Zach Austin Reese to a PTO. He had five goals, 10 assists, and 69 games last year. Not known for his offense, but perennially poised as an elite defensive uh, player based on his metrics. So we'll see how he works. I believe he's going to be a fourth-line player there. Carolina Hurricanes signing defenseman Calvin DeHaan to a PTO could mark uh, DeHaan's second stint in Raleigh, where he played there back in 2018-2019, had 14 points. A couple other signings, Montreal Canadiens signing uh, restricted free agent Caden Primo to a three-year, one-way uh, pact with an AAV of $890,000. Um, he's just 23 years of age, so another goaltender in the carousel there for Montreal. And the LA Kings signing defenseman Mikey Anderson, bringing him back in a one-year deal with $1 million. He was coming off his entry-level deal that paid him nine hundred twenty-five grand. He has two goals and six assists over 57 games uh, this past season. And then finally, John Tortorella has been uh, very vocal about the fact that he has major concerns about the locker room. He spent, I've spent the summer going back and forth to Philly trying to relocate there, but I spent some of the time in the office talking to players, talking to personnel, to the GM, all the front office. And I have major concerns about what goes on in there. Before you even step on the ice, situations and standards and accountability in the room is forefront. You can't get squat done on the ice until you get your room straightened out. And I think we have a little bit of work to do there. That's why they brought him in. That's exactly why. 
we have seen the Flyers over the last couple seasons with the likes of Giroux before he got dealt and Couturier and Joel Farabee and Carter Hart and Ivan Provorov and they, they trade for Ryan Ellis and Rasmus Ristolainen and uh, Travis Sanheim and I could go down the list of players. And you always look talent-wise and then they always come kind of flat out of the gate and they never really recover or live up to the expectations that teams and, and media bases and whatnot expect them to do. And I think a lot of it has to do with their with their locker room presence and their attitude on and off the ice. And I think that's a big reason why John Tortorella was there. I hopefully would think he understood that before taking the job, knowing that, hey, our like the 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 mindset and the 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 charisma around the room is not where we want it to be. We want you to come in and bring your attitude to this organization. So we'll see what happens from there. But John Torella apparently has a lot of work to do over in Philly. All right, that just about does it for today. A lot of news in today's episode, which was uh, really exciting. You can listen back on other episodes on in, on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Follow along with all the news on Instagram and Twitter. It's rained the last couple days. It's cooled off a little bit. It means that fall is coming, which means hockey season is approaching soon. I believe we're just over a month away. Very, very exciting stuff. The news will ramp up as well. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll be back next week with more news. And until then, that's a wrap. Mm-hmm.